So the, the thing about it that's been, and it's weird to say that I have a favorite thing about almost dying, but, but I do, I have a favorite thing about almost dying is that I, I cherish everything so much more now. Like every, every dinner with my wife or, or date night with my wife or every next trail that I get to hike, every camping trip I get to go on. I'm just like, man, I, I kind of shouldn't be able to do this. Like I should, I should have ended on tower peak and I didn't. And so every single thing I get to do from the second that I stopped at that boulder is, is bonus points. And it's, it's, it's a really kind of cool way to look at life because everything's awesome all the time because, because I almost didn't get to do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Backpacking Experience Podcast. If you're new here, my name is Devin. I'm your host. So glad that you are here for this episode today. This is an episode that I've been looking forward to sharing for several weeks, and I'm glad to finally be sharing it with you all. Something that I love about hosting this podcast is the opportunity that I get to meet new people and hear the amazing stories that these new friends that I meet have to share. And it's just an amazing experience and I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And that's what I've got to share on this particular episode. Jim Williams, a new friend of mine, shares his personal experience of how he nearly died while on the trail. And I really appreciate Jim being willing to share his story and the lessons learned from this particular experience. So stick around because I think you're going to enjoy what Jim has to share. I first want to thank Art of the Trek for sponsoring this episode as well. They have been putting an amazing amount of work into creating a public map that makes planning trips a lot easier by adding points of interest to the public map. It's been a lot of fun for me to watch these points of interest grow and get added over the past several months as I've been using the website, and they truly add a lot of valuable information to the map that makes planning trips way easier. You can also contribute your own points of interest to the map. So if you've been out on a day hike or a backpacking trip recently, and while hiking you found something on the trail that may be helpful for others to know, you can add that point of interest to the map. So oftentimes as well, trailheads are not listed on topo maps and adding those to the map is also very helpful for other hikers to be able to orient and plan trips better if they are new to backpacking or hiking and they don't know where trailheads and such are. So to add your own points of interest, go to artofthetrek.com and in the overlays menu, you'll toggle on the various overlays. A small orange plus symbol will appear in the bottom of your window and when you click on it, you can select various types of points of interest to add to the map. Definitely recommend jumping on Art of the Trek and checking out this feature. At this point, I'm happy to welcome Jim Williams to the show and allow him the opportunity to share his story of how he nearly lost his life out on a backpacking trip. So one of the things that I enjoy the most about being a podcast host is I get to meet new people and hear cool experiences, and that's exactly what's happening uh, today on this episode. I've got Jim Williams, who is a new friend of mine that uh, I, I, I met Jim 
uh, which, by the way, Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having uh, me. Yeah. So I met Jim uh, virtually through YouTube. I had reached out uh, on my personal YouTube channel, and I essentially was looking for people to submit video clips of is essentially explaining why you backpack or why people get out on the trail. And you were one of those people that sent me a video clip. And ever since then, I have like founded your personal YouTube channel, been uh, casually watching your videos. And just in the last couple of weeks, we've connected a little bit uh, closer, had more conversation and you told me that you've got a pretty compelling story to share <laughs> and uh, that you wanted to jump on the podcast and, and talk about uh, an accident that took place on a backpacking trip, which we will get into. Um, but it's awesome to have you here, man. Yeah, I'm really excited. I, I listen to the podcast all the time, so it's, it's fun to be a guest on it. I'm very <laughs> excited. <laughs> it's fun to just have any kind of person on the show because uh, everybody has unique experiences, whether you've hiked, uh, like my previous guest, 30,000 plus miles, which is insane to think about, or people like you that are incredibly passionate and uh, experienced in the mountains and have uh, compelling stories from those experiences to share as well. So that's what I'm hoping to get out of uh, chatting with you tonight. And uh, my, I think, I think my goal from this is, yeah, we're going to talk about an accident that happened in the backcountry and the decision-making process that took place in that uh, accident, both uh, leading up to, and then uh, lessons learned afterward, but also just how I, th I think we can become more educated from that experience, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I definitely learned a lot from the experience and have pretty dramatically changed just the way that I backpack from, from the planning stages to the execution have all been pretty well informed. Uh, so I, I was lucky and a lot of folks aren't. You know, I, I read stories about people who, who didn't make it out and realize just how how lucky I was to be, be able to come home and still be able to hike and see my wife again and, mm -hmm. you know, and all that. So the yeah. accident definitely changed on a fundamental level, how, how I plan for hikes and, and how I execute those hikes. Well, I think it would be, it would be important for you to maybe share a little bit of background about yourself, how you got into backpacking, maybe what your personal style of backpacking is, um, cause that can, that can share some context on, uh, the types of trips that you go on and kind of what you seek, because, uh, I think you and I maybe are pretty similar in our styles. Uh, I'm not a through hiker. <laughs> I don't believe that you are a through hiker. Not yet. Uh, and those, not yet. but I know you've been section hiking the PCT, right? Correct. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, a little bit different in, in that sense, but um, peak bagging seems to be something that you enjoy from what I've uh, noticed as well. I, I like peak bagging to a degree. I like doing the walk-ups. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the crazy, like, 
bushwhacking <laughs> class three, you know, I, I like, I like an easy class three, but when it gets into that, that hard class three, almost class four, I'm not super into that. Um, but I'll try it. I've, I've tried a few of them. Even this year, I've tried a couple and didn't quite make it, but nice. I think, I think the fun is in the effort. It's yeah, not totally. always about getting the peak. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so my history with the outdoors, uh, I went on my first camping trip before I could walk. My parents took us out, you know, when I was three and four months old, they didn't even have a tent. We just slept on the ground in one of those big double sleeping bags, you know, and then my siblings had their own sleeping bags off to the side with no, you know, actual shelter. We just slept on the ground. <laughs> and so the woods and the outdoors have always been a part of my life. I, I grew up in the Sierras, essentially. Uh, started solo backpacking in 2012, okay, roughly. Um, <clears throat> and uh, started hiking with friends soon after. Um, around 2015, I started to get pretty serious about it and, and was going you know, once or twice a month taking overnighters or, or two night trips here and there. And then I made my first attempt to through hike the Tahoe Rim Trail. And I started that trip with a friend who bailed on the second night. It just wasn't, wasn't for him. He didn't want to do <laughs> it. Wasn't going for it. <laughs> no, not, uh, we got, we got 30 miles into the trail and he's just like, I can't, he's like, I just can't do it. So he went home and I kept going and, uh, coming down through Ward Creek into Tahoe city for a resupply, I blew out my ankle and I had to call it and go home wow. after eight, after eight days on the trail. Um, so it's, it's been something that I've always wanted to do and always appreciated. Um, I've always just been fascinated by the woods and I find, I find a real peace when I'm sleeping out under the stars that I can't find anywhere else. I I think anybody that is passionate in any way about the outdoors is passionate about it because of what the outdoors provides to the, to the human. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There's that, like that connection that you just, you can't get otherwise. It's just so hard to explain because everybody experiences it differently in that exploration. I guess that's what I'm saying is what like becomes so tangible for people. Yeah. And there's something to be said too, for just having everything on your back. And, you know, if you get out and you've forgotten something that you just don't have that thing and you just have to work around it and you just have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I like, I, I think there's a kind of self-taught resilience that you get from backpacking that you can't really learn anywhere else, you know, it's if you're deep out into the back country and you find out you've forgotten your sweatshirt or your raincoat or, or whatever <laughs> right. it is, you're just like, okay, that's just a thing I don't have. And I have to figure this out. I just have to make it work. And that's not an experience you get in a lot of other places in your life. Cause you know, if you're in town or at your house or at work or whatever, and you're like, Oh, I'm out of coffee. I'll just go down the street and get coffee. And it, you know, you can, you can solve those problems pretty quickly, but when you're in the back country, that's just, okay, I have to deal with this for the next two or three days. And that's, that's all there is to it. 
Yeah. And I, I like that aspect of it. I like that. Just that, that resiliency that you have to teach yourself. Yeah. And it sounds like, I, I think we should move into to talking about Tower Peak. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Um, and, and, and the reason I say that is uh, prior to us recording uh, this episode, <clears throat> I spent some time uh, back on your YouTube channel and watched kind of like a, a preface uh, to this scenario that took place that led to an accident. And I think in a lot of ways, probably uh, changed your outlook in a, in a lot of ways of how you approach your backpacking. And I, I think, I think this is going to be something that a lot of people take a lot of like little nuggets from that. It's like, Oh yeah, I do that when I'm out there, or maybe I should be doing that, or I should consider these aspects of how I uh, make decisions in the backcountry, or uh, how I plan trips or what I personally want out of a backpacking trip. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about tower peak and, uh, break down this, this experience. And I appreciate you like being willing to talk about a difficult scenario that took place in your life and that I respect you being willing to share this and uh, be so open about something that, uh, can be difficult to, to talk about, but also like, uh, maybe for some people to, to hear who may have had similar experiences. Yeah. And just, uh, just real quick, part of the reason I wanted to be on your podcast is because you do so openly and frequently talk about anxiety and depression and, and things like that. And I think that's super important to talk about. And I really respect that you've had so many episodes, uh, you know, kind of around those subjects. And I think this fits kind of right in, into those subjects in a lot of ways. So uh, so Tower Peak. In August of 2015, my buddy Brian brought this idea to me to summit this this incredibly remote 11,000 foot monster um, right in between the Hoover Wilderness and the Yosemite Wilderness. And uh, I was like, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's go." You know, I've been backpacking all this time and done all these other things. Let's go. And we got out there, and the the trail in before you can even start the actual climb is depending on what map you're looking at. It's anywhere from 18 to 20 miles. And we were not ready. <laughs> we were not physically prepared for how difficult this trail was. And early in the day, so we only gave ourselves two days and one night, which was our first big mistake on the first trip. And early in the day, we passed a few uh, locals, who, who hike in the Hoover quite often and, you know, Oh, where are you guys going? What are you doing? We tell them our plan. And they're like, you're doing that today. <laughs> and after about the third time that happened, I started questioning whether we should be doing that today. Um, we worked our way in, we found a nice kind of established campsite and we were so exhausted. Brian literally fell asleep while he was cooking his meal, like he poured the hot water into his boiling bag and then he just fell asleep, <laughs> just fell asleep. sitting up. And uh, so we left really defeated the next day and we had to drag everything and back out the same 20 miles. And uh, I mean, we were just, we were destroyed. So we got back home. We, we talked about what we did wrong. 
and and we started training. We both joined a gym and started running and and started doing some bigger hikes uh, locally to get prepared. And September of that same year, we went out and tried again. Okay, so not not too many weeks or no, a, month, the, a month later? Yeah, the first one was in August. The second one was late September. So okay. there's about six weeks in between. Um, and we gave ourselves three nights this time. We, we went in, we drove down on a Thursday, hiked in about six miles, camped, hiked to that same campsite that we'd stayed at the first time, the second time. And what's the elevation of that campsite? It's, you know, offhand. It's somewhere between probably like 95 and, and 10,000. Okay. So enough elevation that if you're not acclimatized necessarily, that yeah, some elevation or altitude sickness, acute mountain sickness kind of symptoms could come into, into play. And maybe to how you were feeling on the previous trip on the first attempt. It, it could have been. I think mostly the first attempt was just we bit off way more than we could chew. Okay. <laughs> it was just, it was that's, too many miles. <laughs> it was too many miles in too short a time. Um, so the second trip, we got we got into the campsite. We rested really well. We got up early the next day, hiked our way up through. And uh, on the way in, you pass Tower Lake. And then at the far end of Tower Lake, there's this big chute that you kind of have to scramble over. It's big you know, like VW bug size rocks. Okay. Um, but it was, it wasn't as hard as it sounds when you describe it that way. Like there was a pretty clear use trail and, and, uh, it was, it was pretty easy in, in terms of scrambling. So we got up there, we cut across like this kind of sketchy knife edge Ridge and we got to the final shoot and we could actually see the summit. We were, Hmm. we were maybe, a hundred vertical feet, if that from the summit. Okay. And this massive thunderstorm starts rolling in and we can see it coming. And we're just like, okay, do we, do we push our way up, tap the summit and just get out of here really quick? Or do we do the smart thing and just leave? And, uh, we're sitting down drinking water, eating some snacks. And I stood up to stretch and I'm a, bigger guy i'm around 230 pounds and when i stood up the wind pushed me about two feet to the side whoa and i'm like okay we're out of here we're leaving right now we're done (laughs) the summit's not going anywhere we can try again next year let's get out of here before something terrible happens so we bailed out uh we got back down to our base camp and it just started dumping rain Mm. so we, we absolutely made the right decision yeah totally um so the next year in July of 2016, um, we, you know, we had all this data from the previous two trips. We knew what we had done wrong the first time. We knew what went right the second time. So we kind of set the third trip up the same way where we came down on a Thursday, hiked in that six miles to the first lake, hiked to the same campground again uh, for the third time. And then the next morning, we shot our way up to Tower Lake. And when we got there, the whole lake was still socked in with snow and partially frozen. Whoa. And the chute that we had climbed up the previous year had this massive cornice hanging over the edge. And we're like, okay, so we're here for the third time and we're not going to summit. <laughs> this is 
okay, what do we do? So we busted out the maps and uh, we're looking at the maps and we're looking at the compasses and we're looking at the GPS apps on our phone and trying to trying to figure out what we can do. And there's this little head wall just to the west of the lake. And if you look on the map, at the top of the head wall is that knife edge ridge. Mm-hmm. So the the head wall itself was clear of snow. It was just the far end, uh, kind of like the, I guess, the northern end of the lake. Okay. And uh, so we're like, if we can scramble up this little head wall and catch this ridge, it's a straight shot to the final shoot and, and to the summit. So we scrambled up and that was pretty easy. Uh, we had two small snow fields that we had to cross on the way uh, to the shoot. And, and we did it. We got up, we summited, we signed the register. We hung out up there for like 45 minutes, just <sighs> eating and taking pictures. And it was, it was amazing. Some of the best views I've ever seen in my entire life. It was the skies were completely clear. It was like, you could see forever. We could almost see to like the coastal mountain ranges. It was incredible. Wow. So you're looking like South into the Yosemite. Yeah. Yosemite Valley. I guess you probably can't see into the Valley, but like in that direction. When you're, when you're on top of tower peak, you can put one foot in Yosemite and one foot in the Hoover. Okay. (laughs) Cause the, the dividing line between the two wildernesses goes right over the summit. Um, so we started heading back out and we're just on cloud nine. And so we had talked about it pretty extensively. We're like, okay, let's go out exactly the same way we came in because that's the smart choice. We know, we know what to expect. We know how to get there. Mm -hmm. We know what the scramble looks like on the way down. And we walked too far down the ridge and we went over this huge snowfield that was, I mean, it was, it took us probably 15, 20 minutes to cross it. And I knew we didn't cross anything that big on the way in. So I was, I was like, okay, where are we, where are we going? What are we doing? So I start communicating with Brian that I'm feeling a little, a little nervous. And we talked about it and we're like, you know, we're, we're going the right direction. Like Tower Lake is right here. All we have to mm-hmm. do is get down to Tower Lake and then we're on the established trail again. Right. So we kept going. And that was our first mistake. Our second mistake came. <laughs> no, okay, noted. <laughs> yeah. Our, our second mistake came uh, about five minutes later. We, we popped around this big outcropping of boulders and there was another pretty big snow field and i i knew just from looking at it that it was too steep for us to be on you know there's there's kind of a a cutoff right around like 45 degrees essentially where you just shouldn't be walking on snow right this was steeper than that and uh but we had all the stuff we had we had crampons (laughs) we had ice axes like like we were geared up we had everything we needed and my original plan was to cut straight across on this kind of hump that wasn't as steep as the rest of the field. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. What, (laughs) what, what, what made you decide to keep going as opposed to turning around? Because if you crossed that previous snow field and you knew that you were going in the, in the wrong direction. Yeah. What, what, 
what was the thought process of not turning around and going back the other direction to so we, we were, gain the correct the correct route? We were technically going the right direction. We were just too low. You were too low okay. on the mountain face. Yeah, we just we had just see. we we went too far down the ridge, so we were quite a bit lower than we were when we came in over that headwall. I see. Okay. So we we were still going the right direction, and that's what the thought process was. Was this like, I see. Okay. You know, it, it took us it took us fifteen twenty minutes to come down this big snowfield, so it was going to take us thirty or forty minutes to go back up it. Um, but we were going the right direction, and and we had all the right gear. Like if if, if we hadn't had ice axes, if we hadn't had crampons, I definitely would have insisted that we turned around. I see. But we had all the stuff. And we knew how to use it. You know, we, we both had done self-arrest practice and we'd both okay. done belaying practice. Like we knew, we knew how to use the gear and, and we had it with us. Gotcha. So, um, so like I said, my original plan was to cut kind of diagonally across this big hump that was less steep than the rest of the, of the ice field. And then I was going to scramble over these boulders and drop down back onto that headwall into Tower Lake. And for some reason, and I, I know you're going to ask, so I will just preemptively tell you, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I decided to cut a switchback and attack the boulder field a little bit lower. I have no idea why I made this decision. Uh, but that was my third big mistake. Hmm. So I, I kicked in this nice big flat step. I had what I thought was pretty solid footing. Turned around got orientated to the direction I wanted to, to attack this snow field. And as I was switching my ice axe from the uphill hand or from the downhill hand back to the uphill hand, I lost my footing. Oh my gosh. And, uh, I was able to belay, which for anyone listening that doesn't know what that means, you grab basically the top of the axe, like the actual axe portion, uh -huh. and you ram the handle as deep into the snow as you can to give yourself a point of contact so that you can hold on right. and, and regain your footing. So I did that and successfully, and the ice broke out from underneath me. Oh. And so now me and this giant like basketball sized chunk of ice are sliding down this face. Immediately I rolled over to do a self arrest. And again, for anyone listening who may not know what a self arrest is, you take the ax kind of diagonally across your chest you tuck the scoop of it into your in between like your shoulder and your pec mm -hmm. and you press the the point into the snow as hard as you can essentially making yourself a break right you're just trying to drag and, and slow yourself down uh the second the tip of my ice axe hit the ice of this glacier face it ripped right out of my hand <sighs> and so now i'm just sliding down this super steep glacier face and i oh my gosh I and it's not and it's not tethered to you. No. And you're also not I imagine you're not tied in any way because you're not no. alpine climbing with a partner, right? Right. We didn't have when any you, ropes. We didn't you have would normally be in a harness and attached right. to your partner. Uh so I rolled over onto my back and I remember very very clearly thinking, "Okay, Brian, Brian has to watch me die." Oh my god. Because I was headed, I mean, I was headed straight for a cornice off a cliff, and it was, it was, it would have been a 200 foot free fall down onto the rocks below. Oh, um, whoa. 
And so I, I decided I, I stretched my arms out really, really wide, like as far as I could get them. And I cupped my hands. I tucked my core in real tight and just shoved my butt into the snow as hard as I could, thinking it would slow me down. I would create some kind of drag and I could slow down and, and maybe my ice axe would catch up to me because it was sliding down the hill or <laughs> something good would happen. Um, and all it really did was it turned me kind of slightly to the right, which was just enough to keep me from pitching over the edge. And instead I smashed into these two giant boulders and uh, I, I don't know what, I don't know how fast I was going, but I definitely hit like terminal velocity. You know, at, at a certain point when a human body is sliding down ice, you hit a certain speed and you can't really go any faster. Oh my gosh. I had hit that point and I hit these rocks and I stopped dead. So it was, you know, from 35 miles per hour or whatever it was to nothing. Um, how, and I don't how, remember a lot of what did you sl- How far did you slide? About 45 or 50 feet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, I don't remember a lot of what happened next. I remember hearing Brian's voice, but I don't recall what he was saying. And then I remember that I was standing up. And I I don't remember actually standing up, but I do remember that I was vertical. (laughs) And uh, the first sentence... As, as like a, a period of being in shock and yeah. you were, you were doing things that your body would do in your mind when you're in a state of shock. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And the first sentence I remember Brian saying really clearly was, Oh, you're bleeding. Oh my goodness. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we, oh, we did, wow. we did a quick assessment. Um, we had first aid stuff with us and everything. So we did a quick assessment and decided that the best thing to do was to get off the snow as quickly as possible. So we, we traversed this kind of ledge and got to the rocks that I was trying to get to originally. And we got down to tower Lake and I, I sat down on a rock, drank a bunch of water. And Brian was like, do you want to, do you want to look at your leg right now where you're bleeding? I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to see that yet. Let's, okay, let's, hold, let's hold on. <laughs> I got a question. Okay. <laughs> you slid going 25, 30, 35 miles an hour down the snow, slammed into the rocks, and then you continued to walk down a boulder field, scramble through a boulder field, and then off the and snow, then, and then down, down the to wall. the lake. Correct. Well, what were your injuries? That, that just, that, like, the reason, the reason I'm asking that is I have heard stories and there was actually somebody, there was a gentleman that here uh, in the Wasatch mountain range uh, was glissading down a snowfield and lost control, was not able to stop himself and hit the rocks at the bottom of the snowfield. And uh, sorry for those listening, this is a little graphic, but literally separated his ankle from his uh leg yeah like he was going that fast so like i'm having that vision same idea of like you sliding down this snowfield at that speed like how in the world (laughs) are you not so injured that you are able to walk down to the lake uh shock does funny things to your body 
Yeah. And I didn't really feel any of my injuries in, until we got back down to the lake. Like oh, I didn't, my goodness, it didn't occur to me how, how injured I actually was until we got down to the lake. So the list of injuries, I had several pretty severe lacerations uh, down my thighs and my calf, uh, likely from the ice. Ripping up? Yeah. Okay. Um, I broke my heel. Like the actual calcaneus bone? Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, and again... I, I apologize because this is a little graphic. When I finally got home and got x-rays, usually when you break that heel, it's it's almost like a lightning bolt looking fracture. Uh-huh. Because uh, it's, a, it's a big bone. It's a thick, gnarly bone that's right. hard to break. Yeah. The doctor described mine as taking a spoon and smashing the bottom of a hard-boiled egg. So that's that's what my heel bone looked like. Um, oh, and, my word. <laughs> yeah. And then I had really significant deep tissue damage because uh, when I when I hit the boulders, I actually went in between them. So it wasn't like I just hit them and bounced off. It's like I slid into this little crack. Basically, both my legs went in like in between the rocks. So I had some pretty significant deep tissue damage, basically from my lower back down to right behind my knees on both legs. And no like compression fractures or anything like in your no in your tib fib or in your spine at all. No, I got really lucky on that. Um, we did find out later that I had bruised my kidneys, which is a thing <laughs> I didn't know you could do. So I had yeah, I had that's, a that's I, interesting. I a, yeah, I had a significant amount of internal damage. Most of most of my injuries were not visible. Um. That doctor likened it to an automobile accident because I was going super, super fast. And then I wasn't. And just that force coming up through my legs and, and through my hips caused a lot of damage. Um, wow. Internally, I was bleeding internally and, and had bruised my kidneys, and, which is, is not a thing I knew you could bruise. And it sounds just as awful as you think it is. Um, so... I made the call at Tower Lake not to look really closely at any of my injuries. And I ended up um, taking my trekking pole and squishing it down to about cane height. Okay. And we hobbled down the mile of like established trail to where our tents were. And when we got back to the tents, took out all the first aid stuff we were carrying and cleaned everything up. I had to butterfly suture a couple of lacerations on the back of my thigh. And, uh, and I went to sleep. Like once we got everything cleaned up and, and stopped the bleeding, (sighs) I just, I went to sleep and, uh, probably slept for like two or three hours. What? (laughs) Yeah. Before you continue, (laughs) what, what was the reason for not doing a rapid evac? with knowing the because i'm sure you're in in just an immense amount of pain right yes i was um so we didn't have any kind of like satellite communicator we didn't have any kind of radios or anything 
and we didn't have any cell signal. So we were and probably the only people up there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause in that tower Lake trail, once you're past like the first two or three lakes, you don't see anybody. Like we were, we were the sixth and seventh people to sign the register that year. <laughs> so you're alone. We're alone. And, and we're, we're alone and we're 16 ish miles from the trailhead. So I woke up, I ate and, uh, kind of double checked all my bandages and everything to make sure I hadn't bled through anything. And we decided to hike down. There's a, there's a ranger cabin in Paiute Meadow which is roughly five miles from where we were camped, maybe six. And so we decided we'd head down to the cabin and the Rangers would be there and they would help me because I fell on July 4th. And as we're coming up the trail, we saw signs every so often, you know, Ranger cabin occupied from July 1st, Ranger cabin occupied from July 1st. Mm -hmm. I was like, cool, there's going to be Rangers. Let's, let's muscle through this. Let's get down the hill. Um, we put a bunch of my gear in Brian's pack. He kind of bur- carried a lot of my burden out, uh, kept my pack as light as we could. And we, we travel super light anyway. I mean, I, I, we, we probably only had 40 pounds combined between okay. the two of us. Um, so we, we lightened my load as much as we could. He took my bear can and my, my shelter and, and uh, whatever, you know, whatever we could fit in his pack and then left what was left in mine. And uh, kind of worked our way down uh, through Tower Canyon, which is just, it's a brutal trail. It's just up and down the whole way. There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's <laughs> just wild, steep uphill sections. And you'll go down, 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 and then gain all that elevation back again. And so, you know, what would normally have taken us three to four hours to hike took almost eight. Wow. Just because I was, I was just... I was in so much pain. I was trying to be really stoic about it and not worry Brian any more than he already was. But man, I was, I was struggling. And on top of it, it, there had been a record snow year and everything was melting off. So the further down we got into the Canyon, the worse the mosquitoes got. And so we're just, we're swarmed by mosquitoes. I'm in pain from almost head to toe. Um, And we're working our way towards this, this ranger cabin right next to the Walker river in, in Paiute meadows. And we get there and there are no rangers and the whole cabin is still completely boarded up. Like not, not only were they not there then they hadn't been there yet. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) (laughs) we, we worked our way across the Walker river, which actually felt really nice because it was, freezing cold and it just kind of numbed my my legs and all my wounds um and we set up camp off to the side and uh in my head i was just like you know what the rangers will be here in the morning let's just let's just camp and and the rangers will be here in the morning we got up in the morning still no rangers we took a lot of extra time breaking down camp and just really like trying to drag it out and we finally just accepted the fact that the Rangers weren't coming. <laughs> uh, still no cell signal at this point. So we decided 
we would continue on towards the trailhead and the first humans that we saw, we would just beg them for help. You know, yeah. can you, can you all run back to the trailhead or can you stay with me while Brian runs back to the trailhead? Like, this is what happened. I'm probably yeah. still in a great deal of shock. Like, right. we, we need help. And uh, July 4th weekend, just, just outside of Yosemite. So I'm like, we're going to see somebody. We didn't see anybody. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we were, we were maybe two, two to three miles away from the trailhead when we saw the first people. And Brian's like, well, do you want me to talk to him? I'm like, no, let's just, let's just go. Let's just get to the car and get me to the hospital. I'm, I'm just so over this. So I ended up walking out the full 20 miles with, with all the injuries. <laughs> wow. And, uh, laid down in the back of my car, handed Brian the keys and we came home and then I went to a doctor and got x-rays and all kinds of crazy tests. And Jim. <laughs> it oh was my gosh, dude, it was rough. So yeah. Um, I learned a lot that trip, um, bought a satellite communicator. So I have, have that now and I carry mm-hmm. it with me on every trip, no matter how long. Um, but more than that, I, like when we're planning these trips now and Brian and I, every trip Brian and I do is, is type two bordering on type three fun. Um, he, he loves summoning things. He just, that's his thing. Mm-hmm. And I, and I like to try and, uh, I don't always make it to the summit. He does probably 90% of the time, but going into the tower trip, you know, we, we knew where we were going and, and had a rough idea of, of what trails we were going to take and all that. But after the accident, like I make sure I know exactly where we're going. Like, I want to know step-by-step, even if we're on use trails, if we're, if we're bushwhacking, like I, I know like GPS coordinates as to where we're going to be and and what the safest route is. Mm -hmm. And that's not something I did prior to that trip. You know, we, we just kind of winged it quite a bit. We were like, okay, we've got our maps. We've got our compass. We know how to read them. Um, We know where the, where the summit is. Let's just find our way there. And uh, that kind of led to the, to the accident. Cause I mean, if we had known, where to turn right we would have gone down the same head wall we came up but instead we walked too far yeah or if you had like started a track on your phone or on a gps watch or on your gps device at least a breadcrumb right you'd have like a a better general idea of where you would be making that turn and yeah interesting yeah and so in in the wake of that accident i had i had a lot of anxiety especially hiking on snow. There was a couple of trips Brian and I went on where uh, we hit unexpected snow. And I was just like, yeah, man, I can't, let's just, let's just go home. Mm. I don't, I don't want to do this. And uh, I went, I went and saw a therapist about it and she was, she was really helpful. Actually. She gave me kind of a mantra um, and we narrowed down the root of the anxiety, which was, exceptionally helpful it was any anytime i stepped on snow after i fell 
I felt exactly what I felt in the second that I fell, but it was stretched out. So like, imagine, imagine getting stung by a bee and the actual sting part, not, not the pain associated after the sting, but the actual second of the sting is uh-huh. just drags out for like 15 minutes. Whoa. That's so that's how I felt when I stepped on snow is I felt that immediate fear of the second that I fell, but it lasted the whole time I was on snow. So it was like this, this like hyper condensed fear that just wouldn't go away. And depending on how long we were hiking on snow, like my, my whole body would start to shake. My legs would start to shake. My hands would start to shake and it just wasn't safe, you know, Hmm. because I wasn't in control. And so I bailed on a, a bunch of winter trips in the wake of that. But once we were able to narrow down the source of the anxiety and I, I had this little mantra, I could say, is, okay, but you're not falling. You're not falling. You're not falling. And, uh, and I got it under control and I'm now I'm able to go on, on snow trips and, and cause I love backcountry camping in the snow. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> and, I, I agree. Yeah. And it would have been a real bummer to lose that. And so I, I was really happy that I decided to, to go into therapy and, and work through that anxiety. Oh, that's amazing. Um, cause now I can, you know, and I can get back out on the snow and enjoy it and I don't have any fear. And you've got the all. tools at hand to be able to work through that and like take control of the it's, situation for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, so aside from hyper planning and, and getting, you know, the, the satellite communicator, and, and things like that. It's just, it's changed. I, I have a much healthier respect for the trail now. And it's, it's something that whenever I take a friend out, like on a first backpacking trip or a first hike, I'm just like, e- even an easy hike, something could go wrong and you could get hurt. It doesn't matter if it's two miles or, or 20 miles, you have to have that healthy respect for the trail and you have to pay attention to what you're doing. You have to know where you're going Um, and I think it's valuable too to allow yourself to quit. You know, if (laughs) if you're, if you're on a hike and I, and I think that's something a lot of people don't do. They're like, no, the goal is I have to hit this summit and they're not feeling right. They're maybe they're feeling sick. Uh, maybe they rolled their ankle or something and they're like, nope, got to push through it. Got to push it. You don't, you absolutely do not have to push through it. Yeah, you you can absolutely quit, and the mountain is not going anywhere. You can go back when you're feeling better. You can go back after your injury heals. You you 100 do not have to do it on that trip. Yeah, and I mean, and I did that. I did that very thing just uh, last month. <laughs> I watched that I, video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was way more sleep deprived than I probably uh, give myself credit for, and. I wanted to get to this lake that I had not been to before. And I was maybe a mile and a quarter away from the lake. And I, I just like stopped and said to myself, this isn't even worth it. Like I'm not, I'm not having fun right now. And that was enough for me to say, turn around. (laughs) Like it's, it's just not, you're not going to enjoy yourself when you get there. So why like push yourself that, could lead to uh, an accident later. And I'm really glad that I did because 
I had hiked about five and a half miles to that point, knowing I had another five and a half miles to get back to the car. That's an 11 mile day. Like, and for hiking in the Uinta mountains and me previously not having been out that much, uh, doing big miles, I should say, uh, I've spent a lot of time with my kids like car camping. So I've been getting out, but I had not done that many miles and like, I got about two miles back toward the car with about three miles left and I had to stop and I sat for about 30 minutes and this is what you didn't see in the video, but I stopped for about 30 minutes and just, I had like pep talk with Devin. <laughs> like you cannot get yourself injured. You are way more tired than you want to believe that you are. And your feet hurt, you're tired, exhausted, like don't do something stupid. Just get back to the car. And it took me about 45 minutes back at the car to feel healthy enough to even turn the car on and drive. Wow. I was that exhausted. I've been there. It's rough. So yeah, quitting is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. No, not at all. And I think there's, I, I think there's value. And I, I hate to use the word because I don't ever consider these trips failures. But I, I think there's value in the trips where you don't make it. I think that anytime you're out on the trail, you're going to learn something, whether it's something about yourself or or about the trail. And in those trips where you where you don't finish or you don't meet your goal. I think there's a real value in, in that lesson. Um, especially if you allow yourself the space to just go, you know what, this isn't fun anymore. I'm going home. Mm -hmm. Um, because that, that decision could literally save your life in, yeah. in a different situation. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's very true. And so I'm curious, what what else have been because it, it it seems like yeah in that situation i didn't have a satellite communicator beforehand that seems like a no-brainer uh going out i have been in this situation now i want to make sure that my wife or significant other or whatever feels comfortable with me being out there a way to communicate okay no-brainer um i could have made a better trip plan but what else like from that experience that may be a little bit deeper that would be important for uh, everybody listening to kind of understand about the kind of the purpose of being out there or what uh, can be learned from an experience like that. So, so that it, I mean, an accident's an accident, right? <laughs> and you don't want that to happen to anybody, but this is a really long run on question, but hopefully you kind of get the gist of what I'm trying to, to ask here. Yeah. Um, I think my biggest takeaway was that especially if you're hiking with a group or with a partner that don't, don't be afraid to communicate when you're uncomfortable with something. And I think, you know, I talked a lot about the mistakes Brian and I made collectively, but the mistake I made was that when I saw that snowfield, my gut immediately told me, nope, 
we should not be doing this. Hmm. And I didn't communicate that with Brian. I didn't say anything. I, I just like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. But, and, and I think that was a big mistake on my part. And I think, I think had I communicated with Brian that I wasn't comfortable and, and that I really genuinely thought it was a terrible idea, then maybe we would have turned around and taken, you know, the 40 minutes or whatever to hike back up that snowfield and, and found the right trail, the right, you know, the right way down that head wall. Um, but I didn't say anything. I just, I just stepped out onto the snow feeling like I shouldn't be there. And I think that to me, that was my biggest takeaway. Trust your gut and communicate with your hiking partners. Yeah. I, wow. <laughs> I can't agree more. And I think from, from my perspective as somebody that, that teaches university students intro to backpacking and I take students on like a, a weekend backpacking trip that it's never like a super aggressive trip. It's typically like 15 miles of hiking. We don't do like crazy scrambling or uh, summoning peaks and that kind of thing. But something that I, that I drill heavily in my classroom is the concept of expedition behavior. And I think that even ties into how we kind of like conduct ourselves. That sounds like so behavioral, <laughs> but how we like conduct ourselves on our solo trips or even just with like our social groups that our expedition behavior can literally make or break the way a trip goes. The decisions that are made when you are out there, not speaking up, like that's a decision that was made. And choosing to, oh, I'm going to jump from this boulder to that boulder because I feel like I'm capable of doing it. But you know, like, oh, that's a big gap between those two boulders. Maybe I shouldn't do that. And I think, I think that's like actually something that people don't necessarily think about all that much when you're like, oh, I'm going to go backpacking. I'm going to go do this amazing thing. I'm going to go summit tower peak. It's going to be incredible. And I am going to have this experience that will provide all these amazing memories. And then like one little thing happens by a decision that you make that changes everything for everybody. Like, and I can only like make assumptions and kind of like put myself in, in your shoes being up there on that snowfield and the conversations that you and Brian were having together. And then how quickly, like it just a split second, you are now sliding down the snow and for him, how that changed everything for him for the next 48 hours or right. the, the hours after that took place. So the, the way I look at things now is I think, and I'm, and I'm sure you would agree with this and have experienced this, the way you conduct yourself on a solo hike is different than the way you conduct yourself in a group setting. Yes. And I, and I think in a group setting, you know, we might, push ourselves a little harder and, and a little more outside of our comfort zone, especially if the people we're with are, are comfortable. 
you know, yes. you're just like, oh, okay, so this person's doing well. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just overreacting. Or but, they're a regular hiking partner that you understand each other's limits. Exactly. Capacity. But like, had, had I been in that same situation by myself, it's likely I would have dipped out and, and not climbed the head wall alone. You know, I would have seen the cornice and seen the, the chute socked in with snow and gone, well, all right, I don't sum it this time. Yeah. But because I was with a partner and a partner that I trust, I was like, yo, we can, we can get, we can get up this head wall. We can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I, I probably wouldn't have done by myself. And so post accident, I have tried to the best of my ability to conduct myself on group hikes with the same caution that I would conduct myself on a solo hike. And, and I think that's, I, I don't know how to word this. I just, I just think that's kind of an important point to touch on is that like, if I wouldn't feel safe doing this without Brian, why do I feel safe doing it with him? <laughs> and, and so I've approached dangerous and scary situations, you know, from that mindset, like, well, what would I do if I was here by myself? And why should, why should I make a different decision because I'm here with somebody else? Yeah. Um, and a, a pretty good example of that is we tried to summit middle Palisade and okay. it, I mean, it's a brutal off trail bushwhacking bouldering adventure just to get out there. And there are two kind of known routes there's a uh, kind of the common route that a lot of people go up and that requires the glacier to be of a certain size. And if the glacier has peeled back too far, then that easier route isn't accessible. And then there's this red rocks route, which I knew from looking at, you know, the topo maps and reading all the trip reports was beyond my skill set. Okay. And so I had decided early in the day that if the glacier was peeled back too far, I just wasn't going. And if, if Brian still wanted to go, I would support that and I would wait for him, you know, for as long as I had to at the bottom, but putting me in that red rock shoot with, without the necessary skill set and without the necessary knowledge, doesn't just put me at risk. It puts everyone else in that shoot at risk. Yeah. Cause if there's three other climbers in there and I fall and they're below me, Mm -hmm. I could take them out too. So I decided very early in the day that if, if that easier route wasn't available, that I wasn't going. And I imagine that was an agreed on conversation ahead of time. Yeah. Brian and I had a very long conversation about it. Um, (laughs) And luckily when we got there, there was a group of three climbers who were very experienced and had done that route the year prior. Okay. And they invited Brian to go along. Um, and one of the guys was actually a guide and I told him, you know, Hey, this is, this is why I'm not doing. He's like, that's the best decision I've heard all day. So it was kind of cool to have somebody who's like a professional (laughs) be like, yep, no, you're not going. (laughs) That's right. And invalidate that. Yeah. Yeah, And then, uh, and then they took Brian up and brought him all the way back down safely. And it was, you know, it was a good day for everybody. You know, had, had I decided to try the shoot, it would have been a miserable time. I wouldn't have had any fun. I'd have been scared the entire time. I would have been relying super heavily 
on on these other experienced climbers, which isn't fair to them because now I'm ruining their day too. Yeah, you know, because they have to babysit me climbing right, up. Right. So, and uh, I just I don't regret that decision at all. It was the only right choice. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. So I'm curious with the with the time that we've got left. I know that you made a return to Tower Peak. We did. Uh, and I, I want to hear what that experience was like for you. So in September of 2020, right at the height of fire season, because sometimes we're not very smart, Brian and I decided to go back and it was something I, I had to do it. Like my, my anxiety had reached a level that even with my little mantra from the therapist and everything that. I wasn't having fun hiking anymore. There was mm. a lot of trips we went on where it was just like, this should be a lot more. And it wasn't, I wasn't not having fun. It was just like flatline, which I don't know if that makes any sense, but it was just like, okay, this is a thing that I'm doing. And yeah, I wasn't getting any real enjoyment out of it, out of it but I wasn't, I didn't dislike any of it either. It was just really just flat and bland on every trip. And I had to fix that. And the only way I could think of and, and talking to my therapist too, was, was to, to go back and conquer that demon and put it to bed. Hmm. So we went back, um, went back in September so that it would be clear of snow. And we took the same head wall up and revisited the actual spot where I fell and uh, bless his heart. Brian, let me go down into that gully by myself. He didn't come down with me and just let me kind of have it alone, you know, and, and spend some time there. And, uh, and I cried. I like just sat down on the rock that essentially saved my life and mm. just cried for like five, five minutes, probably. <laughs> wow. And, uh, but it was so cleansing. And then uh, after I was kind of done in that area and, you know, I had looked down over the cliff where I would have fallen, um, touched the rock that, that stopped me from falling, we summited. And we ended up hanging out on the summit for probably an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> hiked awesome. back. Yeah, it was great. We hiked back down. On the way out, we got to take the chute that you're supposed to take because there wasn't any snow. Um, spent the night in that same campground for the, for the fourth time. <laughs> and, uh, I know I never need to go back there again. I'm done. I'm done with tower peak. <laughs> you put, you put it to bed. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. What a, that story is amazing, man. <laughs> like <laughs> not knowing like a, a very many details about what took place outside of what I had seen in the, the short like YouTube videos. What, th that's an incredible experience that, I mean, that's literally life-changing. Yeah, it, it has been absolutely. Uh, and I mean, in, in some ways, like it's unfortunate that that took place and some of the things that have probably taken place in your life ever since then have not been the easiest to, to work through. And, but it, in the same sense, like how like mind opening to 
opportunities that can come from being out there in the backcountry and just being more like open-minded to those opportunities. And I don't know, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, I'm kind of putting my myself in those shoes and like, how would that, what would that mean to me? And so the, the thing about it that's been, and it's weird to say that I have a favorite thing about almost dying, but, but I do, <laughs> I have a favorite thing about almost dying is that I, I cherish everything so much more now. Like every, every dinner with my wife or, or date night with my wife or every next trail that I get to hike, every camping trip I get to go on. I'm just like, man, I, I kind of shouldn't be able to do this. Like I should, I should have ended on tower peak and I didn't. And so every single thing I get to do from the second that I stopped at that boulder is, is bonus points. And it's, it's, it's a really kind of cool way to look at life because everything's awesome all the time because <laughs> because i almost didn't get to do it that's amazing that's amazing absolutely amazing i i'm just so grateful for you being willing to, to come on and share that story with everybody and uh the things that you learned from it like that's it's amazing that's <laughs> that's all i can say well thank you thanks for having me this was fun yeah i really um, really appreciate it it's a weird it's a weird thing to talk about, but I like talking about it because I think, I think it'll help somebody, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe there's somebody who's got that anxiety from an accident who is afraid for whatever reason to go see a therapist or, or maybe there's somebody who, you know, is just scared for whatever reason. And maybe, maybe they'll hear my story and go, Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I can go see a therapist or maybe I don't need to be scared of this thing. Or... Yeah. And I, and I like how what we've talked about tonight ties into like two different episodes that I've, that I've recorded that are personally like meaningful to me. Uh, one of those is the, the title that's, I think it's like making smart decisions in the backcountry and breaking down like risk management and uh, how how you essentially make smarter decisions in the backcountry, uh, but then also one of my more recent episodes uh, with Andrew Baldwin, uh, Shanty is his mm -hmm. trail name, uh, talking about what the trail provides and how the, a, literally a through hike essentially like saved him <laughs> uh, from the the demons, the depression that he was suffering through, and that kind of thing, and. Like there's just so much that being out on the trail provides and it's so individual and what you've shared in, in this episode is that's your story, man. <laughs> like that's Jim Williams story. Like I can't take that from you. Like I can't put that on myself or other people. Uh, the lessons learned can be shared, but like, that's that's yours man and that's that's special well thank you yeah that's really really neat um so i guess to wrap up if you have any anything else you want to share but uh also where people can find you where they can subscribe to your youtube channel or follow you on instagram that kind of thing 
Uh, so all of my social media, Facebook, uh, I have a blog on WordPress, the YouTube channel that you mentioned, and the Instagram, it's all lost again with Jim. Okay. Um, so it's pretty easy to find. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah, I just, I just <laughs> kept everything the same across the board. It's, it's not to confuse anybody. Um, the channel's small, but I'm having fun with it, so I don't really worry about it that much. I don't look too hard at the subscriber numbers or the watch time or anything like that. I just, I enjoy the process. I feel like even if nobody was watching, I'd probably still do it. <laughs> but that said, you all should go watch my stuff and subscribe. So, <laughs> and, you, and you really, you really should for everybody listening, Jim's videos, like they're heartfelt, they are enjoyable. Uh, just you as a person is enjoyable to watch and the scenery that you share on your trips is fantastic. Well, we got to get you out to see some of that scenery in person. Yeah, I, I need. Think. That's. I'm a guy that is not ever backpacked in California. How about that? <laughs> Let's change it. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm down. All right, Jim. Well, thank you again for taking time, and uh, yeah, we should catch up soon and make make a trip happen. Yeah, definitely. Jim, thank you again for your time and for sharing your experience and lessons learned from that experience. I hope everyone listening also enjoyed this episode and my time with Jim. It's always great to make new friends and share our experiences from the trail. If you enjoyed the episode today, I'd invite you to share it on your social media accounts, and I'd love if you rated and reviewed the podcast. Thank you again for listening, and I'll catch you next time on the next episode of The Backpacking Experience.